Hi everybody and welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. Today we're excited to have Curtis McBride with us. Now Curtis is the uh, one of the co-founders and the CEO of Myovision. So I'm going to grill um, young Curtis here on some of the Myovision story and so I want you to pay attention because this is really interesting. Hey Curtis. Hi. Welcome. So how did Myo, what is Myovision? How did we get started? Uh, well, if you go back far enough, uh, I was a co-op student working in Toronto, uh, writing some software for a transportation engineering company. U of W co-op? Uh, yeah, U of W. Okay. Yep. And uh, they would occasionally on the weekends, they'd be short staffed to do these these manual counts. Uh, and they'd grab all the co-op students and pull us out to, to do that. So, you know, you sit there for eight hours in the baking sun. In a lawn chair. Uh, in a lawn chair, a clipboard, you know, counting the cars that went by. Yep. And, uh so it was kind of in, in one of those moments where I decided that there needed to be a better way and uh, went back to, to school. We needed a fourth year workshop project. So that became my, my project and then just kind of went from there. Wow. And, and I'm sorry, was this software engineering you were in? Uh, systems design. Yeah. Systems so design. A little bit of everything. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Now, what was the best part about the University of Waterloo experience? I, for me personally, I think the co-op program was the best. Um, mm -hmm. This gave you a real good like practical experience. Um, you know, I remember taking a, a course in circuits and you'd learn how to calculate, you know, resistor values to 75 decimal points. And then you'd go to uh, my, my co-op job was down in California and they just had the low and the high bucket just yeah. for cost reasons. It didn't make sense to have, you know, everyone. And they would just, I don't know, it feels like a low and feels like a high. And so you got a real practical exposure to how how uh, things would be once you got done with yeah. school. So the co-op program at, at University of Waterloo is probably one of the best in the world. Yeah, I mean, based on my data point of one, I would tend to agree, but uh, no, I mean, we, we certainly uh, still to this day hire a lot of co-op students, uh, not, only from, uh, not only from Waterloo, but certainly a lot from Waterloo. Yeah, that, that was gonna be your next question because that legacy then would continue because you're feeling very positive uh, about that experience. Now your co-founders. Yep. Also both systems design in Waterloo. Yeah. And did you meet uh, in school? Yeah, we both. Uh, one of them I went to, to school with uh, the, the whole time, and one of them was uh, they call off stream. But uh, we had a tendency of trading co-op jobs when when okay. I wouldn't finish any of the work that needed to get done, I'd give my job to him, and he'd finish it for me. So okay. Yeah. Well, that, so what's the what's been the key to that successful partnership then? Because Myovisions, you're into your eleventh year now. Yep. So how come it's still working with you, you know, with you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think whether it's uh, whether it's the founders or just the people we've added to the, the management team, um, really important that you get people that work, work well together, but also to complement each other. Um, right. I have a tendency to, you know, chase shiny balls, and so I've surrounded myself with people that ground me and keep me pointed in the right direction. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, just kind of finding that right balance of of uh, personalities and skill set, and uh, yeah, we've, we do that and we keep adding to the team when we find people that uh, fit. Yeah. Now, as I understand it, Myovision is doing a lot of work in Europe. Um, so how is that working? Do you have a location there? Yeah. So we have an office in Cologne, Germany. Mm -hmm. um, so it's uh, Kolsch beer is great if you ever get a chance to go over there. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, we uh, picked Cologne uh, partly because it's a fairly, uh, uh, I guess as European cities go, fairly multicultural. So we yeah. were able to hire lots of different languages and business cultures and, and things like that. So we, out of that uh, office in Germany, we sell... Uh, pretty much all over North, northern and western uh, Europe. Um, okay. So we have a, a guy who speaks French, uh, Italian, 
uh, you know, kind of all all over the place. So right, and, and I got to say, traffic patterns aside, it's pretty easy to get around Europe as opposed to North America, where you're on planes for hours and hours. You can be on a train from Cologne, and oh, yeah, I mean, I uh, I was traveling a lot back and forth to to our German office around the time that the LRT debate was happening, and I used to get a kick out of you go over to to Cologne's population, probably eight hundred thousand people, and they have a, a subway network that's you know way more dense than even Toronto right. uh, and they complain and when the trains are two minutes late they complain about the poor train service and then I'd come back here and we were debating whether we should put one train line into a uh, you know, similarly sized city so but yeah it's uh, it's amazing like I'll fly over to Frankfurt and you can take a 20 minute high speed train to Cologne and then once you're in Cologne take a train wherever you want yeah. uh, and you're a two minute walk from anything. So. Just amazing. Now, I know one of the things you guys are interested in is is the concept of a smart city. Yep. So help us understand what a smart city could be. Yeah, so there's this is actually kind of a um, I would say a raging debate inside uh, the industry at large in terms of you know what what direction is the smart city going to go. There's sort of two camps. So one camp is you know single large vendor uh, comes in you know so whether it's an IBM or a Cisco comes in mm -hmm. and and basically provides uh, a sort of a top down version of the smart city where you buy from them and then you buy from all their partners. Um, our view is that the, the smart city is going to be more emergent, kind of like the internet was. Right. Um, a whole bunch of little point solutions that are uh, independently solving problems, but with a mind to uh, how this thing kind of evolves um, and, and emerges as a smart city. And, and I think the, you know, the, the way we look at it is you know, similar to how the internet um, allowed for sort of the long tail of, of service need to emerge, right? So before the internet, the services that you could access were limited to the you know the the, the services that were hitting a mass market. Right. When the internet comes along, you know if there's 15 people in the world somewhere, there's probably a service that delivers for them. Right. Um, I think the, the the physical city is about to go through a similar transformation. Okay. Uh, where you know up until this point, and maybe for the last 150 years, you pay taxes, the city provides you services. The services have to be fairly homogenous because they have to hit the the right. you know the average, the uh, average user. Right. Uh, I think what happens with the smart city is as the as all the infrastructure and the physical elements of the city become connected and start to produce data, uh, there's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to come along and build services on top of that data and and allow the long tail of of services to to kind of uh, emerge. So we're pretty we're pretty excited to be a little little part of that. Yeah, and and to me, Curtis, that sounds like a better solution. I mean, it's going to be more agile uh, and mobile, if you will. Uh, than just the as you you demonstrated with your hands this this top down solution yep uh, which we've all seen in large corporations and uh, you know new systems are introduced but they, they just don't get personalized enough or customized enough to meet changing needs yep so the smarter route to me would seem to be to go you know the the agile and committed uh, smaller entities helping out especially if that's their specialty yeah. Well, it's just, I think it's, I mean, it's human nature and it's certainly the nature of, of uh, the public sector is, mm -hmm. you know, doing it top down requires you to think through the entire system from, from the beginning uh, and take a big risk, right? You have to make a big investment to, right. to get there and then you're hoping when you flick the switch and turn it on that it works. Uh, whereas if you come at it from the, from the bottom up and you go one problem at a time uh, with you know, one device and one piece of software that yeah. solves that problem, um, as long as you have a mind to how it all eventually comes together, uh, then it's a lot less risky. You can get a return on your investment much faster uh, incrementally. Which has got to be more important now to municipalities and, and cities than it's ever been because they're all straining under, you know, how do we provide 
yep. these, uh, you know, <clears throat> buffet of services that people are demanding yep. that are no longer homogenized or generalized. Yep. So. Well, the analogy that I often use is, is you know, it would be like if you uh, went into Rogers, the Rogers store and, you know, the sales rep comes up to you and says, you know, Alan, it's great to see you. Uh, we have this new cell phone that's available. Uh, we're going to sell you the device, and we're going to sell you ten years of service. Uh, the cell phone costs twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, and so when you buy that phone, uh, you got to use that for ten years because you got to make sure that you get get a payback on it, yeah. right? Um, and I mean, that would obviously be insane. We wouldn't buy cell phones that way because the technology moves so fast. Um, but that's actually how we buy city infrastructure now. We buy um, you know, huge capital investments, big outlays, huge risks involved, and then we have to use them for 10 years. And as, as the world continues to accelerate in terms of the rate right. of technology change, um, you know, by the time you get around to making that next 10-year capital investment, you're, you're, you're way behind in terms right. of what, what you could be doing with your, yeah. your, uh, your operation. So, wow. so you, you just celebrated your, your 10th anniversary at Myovision last summer. You're coming up to your 11th. Um, you're a graduate of a world-class uh, co-op program in, in systems design engineering. Um, makes you kind of unique. Not everybody, has, not everybody comes to entrepreneurship from that kind of background, which is an excellent place to come from. What suggestions could you make or recommendations could you make to somebody who's starting out as an entrepreneur that um, is, is maybe in, in technology but maybe doesn't have that excellent background that you had? How, do you, how are you going to make it these days uh, in being an entrepreneur in technology? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, you could you could answer it in lots of ways, and I'm I mean, I'm still learning every day. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I remember uh, one piece of advice that I got once was um, that being naive as an entrepreneur is actually an asset. Okay. Um, and I think that when you're you know you're coming out of you know whether it's University of Waterloo or Laurier or Conestoga or any any of the programs, um, the fact that you don't know that the thing that you're setting out to do is impractical and challenging, and you know some might even argue sometimes impossible, right. um, it kind of gives you the. Uh, the, the confidence to go and do it because you don't know any better. Yeah. Um, the person who, who told me this, uh, this gave me this piece of advice, you know, talked about how um, they were trying to start a company in a, essentially what amounted to a Mennonite town, um, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and they were going to go, you know, compete against some of the biggest brands in, in the world. And people just thought that was crazy. And, but I mean, you look what's happened in, in this town since then. Um, yeah. You know, it's hard to argue with the point. So just, you know, don't be afraid to buck the trend and, uh, you know, take on uh, take on a challenge that other people might tell you you shouldn't. Yeah, there you go. So, is there something special about the Waterloo ecosystem here for entrepreneurship? I know David Johnson, our uh, president, or ex-president of the University of Waterloo, and now our governor general said he thinks there's something in the water here. I find this town is very uh, has a very pay it forward kind of culture, mm -hmm. um, and so there's people you know more than I can count, but there's been lots of people who over the years have given me their time. Uh, you know, when I'm faced with, you know, if I'm going to go to, you know, going to go to Germany, how do you do it properly? Or if you're building a product, how do you do it properly? Or, right. um, and I, and I find that all that those people have ever asked for in return is that you just keep doing that forward. Right. And right. so I try to do, uh, you know, two or three a month uh, where I get out and have a breakfast with an entrepreneur and just kind of, you know, give them, give yeah. them what I can to give it, Excellent. give it back. But, um, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, I mean, it's great, great talent, talent resource, and um, you know, there's a real sort of culture of of entrepreneurship, which yeah. which helps. But I really think that that sort of community building uh, 
culture yeah. that we have is, uh, is, is part of what makes it special. Yeah, I think you're right, Curtis. And, and of course, the other example that David Johnson would use is barn building, where people get together yep. uh, to get something done, and then they go away and back to their lives, but they're always available to help yep. uh, when they're needed. So what's next for MyaVision? What have you guys got planned in, say, the next three to five years? Yeah, um, so we, I mean, we've, until recently, we've, we've kind of focused on this, this niche of uh, collecting data at intersections. Um, you know, we went from being kind of an obscure player in that market to essentially the, the we're by far the biggest player in that market, but it's really niche. Uh, the product that we launched about a year ago now uh, is essentially, you know, think of it like a cell phone for an intersection. So it provides connectivity, but it allows you to keep adding software applications on top of it. Right. Um, but what we're seeing is that because we, we've solved this problem for cities where they, they don't have to rip out all, all the infrastructure, throw it in the garbage and put in new stuff, they can just add a little piece of technology and it makes it, makes it modern. Wow. Um, we're seeing other departments of the city uh, that are adjacent to traffic. So whether that's transit or emergency vehicles, uh, parking, that are all kind of coming out of the woodwork at us going, like I got the same, pro it's a different application and it's yeah. a different context, but I have the same fundamental problem and can you help me? So we're uh, we're gearing up, we've we've grown from about 65 to 115 people in the last year or so. Um, and we're uh, we're kind of gearing up to start knocking down those, uh, those little point problems, we call yeah. them one at a time, so. Wow. That, that's great news, and, and you're doing it in Canada with your uh, European operation. What about, yep. what about Southwest Asia or Southeast Asia? What about Australia? So we, we, have, uh, we don't have offices there, but we do have uh, customers in 50, okay. 54 countries. 54. Uh, so we do most of the data collection in Australia, actually, is, oh. uh, is us. We have uh, customers all over the Middle East, uh, growing footprint now in, in South America. Wow. Um, so yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, I would say, kind of uh, strategically focused in, in Europe, the Middle East, Australia, uh, New Zealand, and North America. And then opportunistically, we'll take on projects uh, wherever they come up. So. Yeah. So here we go. We've got we've got three students from the University of Waterloo co-op, and you are now as an organization globally relevant. Yep. Yeah. It turns out the traffic's a pain everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, find a problem and solve it. And uh, it sounds like you guys are on point to keep solving problems and keep growing. Yeah. I look at the last ten years and and getting to where we we have gotten to, but it almost feels like. It took 10 years to build the foundation of the house, sure. uh, but now that we have the foundation built, all sorts of things become possible. Um, you can see, you can feel the the culture, uh, you know, really starting to come to life. Uh, the velocity that we can deliver products and sell products and, yeah. and uh, ship them to customers. I mean, all those things are starting to really uh, take on a life of their own and grow. So it's pretty exciting. Fabulous. Are you having fun? Having a blast. Yeah. yeah more fun than I've ever had. That's all you need to do. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Curtis. And thanks for tuning in. And thanks to our guest, Curtis McBride. AQ's Blog and Grill.